Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road. And hopefully you are doing well. We're in the, we are uh, blessed to have a bit of a harvest, thank God. And I will tell you about that in a minute. So I may make this show a little bit shorter. I did not um, have a chance to, uh, to put any pins in my map. So I'm going to leave that out this week and hopefully, God willing, next week. Well, hopefully next week I'm still collecting them because hopefully, God willing, we're still on harvest. So we don't know, right? We got to see what happens with that. But uh, we have two winners of the Hot Rod Farmer license plate. And let me just tell you who they are before I forget. And it is Patrick McGowan from Ossining, New York. Now, I don't believe Patrick, I know for sure Patrick listens to the radio show on Sirius XM. I don't know whether he listens to the podcast, but he already reached out to me. But it's out of due respect. I always announce everyone on both the radio show and the, uh, the, the podcast. So I have to keep be a man of my word. And then Thomas and Mary Adams from New Bloomfield, Pennsylvania, near Dairy Farmers. And I believe they listen to the radio show also. And they listen while they are milking their cows. Excuse me. So the cows are hot rod farmers. So please, those two people, Patrick, you already got a hold of me. Send me your address. Your hot rod farmer license plate will be in the mail very shortly. And I just need a Thomas and Mary Adams from New Bloomfield, Pennsylvania to reach out and let me know where I could send that license plate to. And if you want to get into that drawing, it's very, very simple. You could either just send me an email at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com or the best thing to do is go to the website. And my my web guru there, Sue Moore, she has a, uh, a link. You just click on it and fill it out and I have your name and address. So when you win, because everybody, right, I'm going to have, of course, the faith of a farmer. The Bible says you don't put your, a farmer doesn't put on his, ha- his hand to the plow and look backwards. He looks forward with faith. So we're, we're going to have faith that you are going to win the hot rod farmer license plate. And I think I'm going to have to order some more. Those things are flying out the door. So they, uh, so that is that. And uh, let me just tell you a little story also, but if you happen to listen to the On the Road podcasts also, that I have just this week posted a podcast with my friend about my friend Gene Worst, and it's an episode that I was very, very excited and wanting to do for a long time because Gene, my life and Gene's life is so intertwined, even though we took different pathways in life. And it was great to be able to introduce him. It is great to be able to introduce him to you, my audience. And to, and, you know, and humbly, I say, is that to learn a little bit more about me. And I say that's, you know, very humbly, because I'm not thinking that you would have any real desire to learn anything more about me. But, you know, I'm, a, I'm no different than you are. I mean, so I'm very interested to learn about you guys. And this will show you a different side of me. Uh, to my friend Gene, we've been friends. I think I said in that show, I think we've been friends for 43 years, but I think it's I think it's 45 years. So we were young young kids when we met, and it's a friendship that endured for uh, all of that time. So it's a it's a real blessing. So if you get a chance, check it out, and I I hope that you'll enjoy it. He's not a farmer, has nothing to do with farming, but he's definitely definitely a car guy and he's a hot rod or i guess we'll call him a hot rod farmer even though he does he's he's come up here and you know years ago when we were young guys and he'd stay over here and help me pick corn and help do stuff on the farm and he actually learned how to drive a four-speed a stick shift on the farm here we had a 64 ford 
It was uh, with a 292 in it, Y block. It was a piece of junk. It was a piece of junk when we bought it. I think my dad paid $200 for it. The bed was all rotted out. Somebody put a, actually the, the, the workmanship of they put a wooden bed on it was night, better than the whole truck. And the truck was all hacked up, but that old Ford was unbelievable. Had a factory hand choke. You pull the lever out of the dashboard, and uh, you'd pump the gas, had set that choke, and it could be twenty, literally twenty below zero. I'm not saying facetiously. Back then, we had some cold, a uh, couple of cold days, and uh, and that thing would go, start right up. You just adjust the choke a little bit, and she'd drive away. It was a three-speed manual that somebody converted to a floor-mounted her shifter, and it looks like the guy must have gotten a sawzall when they just came out and did that because that whole truck was was cut up. You'd see the ground going by, but she kept running that old Ford, and that was the uh, truck that my friend learned to drive a four-speed on. So that was uh, well, actually it was a three-speed, I say manual transmission. It's incorrect for me to call it a four-speed, right? To drive a four-speed, drive a manual. So that is that, um, a quick little side story about our harvest. And I, you know, I struggled with telling you this or not. And because whatever, I mean, you're not here to, you're here to probably, you're here not to listen to, to me about, you're here to listen to me about engines or machinery or something like that. But, you know, as a Christian, we have a obligation and an obligation is to be a witness for Christ with all those we interact with. And uh, I have very good friends of mine are Mormons, and they uh, and I've been out to Salt Lake City to Temple Square a number of times, and uh, been to Nauvoo, and uh, and uh, just lo- I love the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, unbelievable when you listen to them, the choir and orchestra, one hundred sixty, uh, three hundred sixty piece um, member choir, one hundred eighty men, one hundred eighty women, and a hundred ten piece orchestra, and I have crazy eclectic music tastes. So I'll listen to the Mormon Tabernacle, and then I'll listen to uh, Bo Diddley or something. <laughs> so whatever, I'm all over the map. But you think I'm a psychopath? If I ever got to analyze this, this guy's a wacko. Look at look, look at the CDs he's got. But anyway, and the orchestra is 110 pieces. But the important thing is that none of those people are professionals. They come from all different walks of life, and only because of their love for the Lord do they. They have a blessing of, they're blessed and have a gift of this music. But when you listen to them sing and you listen to them play, to you, I can't play anything but the radio. But uh, un, it's unbelievable. I mean, no matter what your music taste is, you have to be able to listen to that and say, this is first class and this is, this is quality. But anyway, one of the, um, one of the uh, people that I met, well, I really didn't meet him, I should say. I was, a, was, was introduced to, I should say, in a... In a in, not in, not personally, but introduced to him as a as a, as a as a speaker, says you know as a Christian you're supposed to you're supposed to go out and preach the gospel to all the world to all creation. The Bible says preach the gospel to all all of creation, and he added, and if you have to use words, and that's really a powerful message because it's it's really meant to and it, what it does mean that really meant it's meant to say that the way you lead your life and the way you just your daily existence is going to tell people that you're a follower of christ all right you don't need to go and bray and you know put a neon sign around your neck so but part of that is also to be able to give your witness your testimony and that's what i'm sharing with you right now so uh is that on august 7th and i write everything down in my bible 
and August seventh, I came to the I came to the realization is probably the proper word that they would I would lose my entire crop. So, and you know that's part of being having faith. You have to just say whatever God's will is. I did everything the best that I could do. I mean, I can't help if it doesn't rain. So uh, you just have to trust in the Lord. I mean, you know, he knows your heart. So I came to that realization that I knew I lost the first four plantings. The plantings five through nine were, forget about it. And they were, you know, hanging their tongue. It just just wasn't happening. I don't want to rehash all of that. And if you're in agriculture, you know what I'm talking about. And actually, I was like a... Like I told somebody, I was like a little kid or young kid, not a little kid, that doesn't want to do his homework or you know, even as adults. If we don't want to do something, we find 10 million other things to do. Oh, I got to go do this now. I think the, the, I got to brush my teeth or I gotta, whatever. I, let, me, let me go pay that phone bill because you, you try to avoid doing what's uncomfortable. And even though I knew that I had to go out in the field to check my crops per se, because I, you know, it's very easy to go out in the field when the crop is beautiful. You want to go to every five minutes and look at it. Oh man, this thing is beautiful. It's like, you know, like listening to a beautiful motor or seeing a beautiful car. You don't like to see it when it's wrecked. And so I, you know, from, from riding by, I know, I knew what was going on in there, like, like every farmer would. So, but I, you know, I had to face up to the music and I had to get out there and I had to look at it. And I came to the realization that it that on August 7th, that it was not going to happen. So I gave it to the Lord, and I wrote this down in my Bible, and I said a prayer, and I asked the Lord to uh, to rescue. And I used the word rescue because that's truly what it was. It needed to be rescued. I said, if you could rescue something from this crop, Lord, I would really, really just be so appreciative of it and so grateful. And he answered that prayer. And we are harvesting uh, it's, is it going to be you know a, a bountiful harvest? Of course not. Uh, is it going to be a profitable harvest? Of course not. The most expensive crop I ever planted. But the most important thing and the most wonderful thing is that I have visual proof and of of answered prayer. And we are harvesting some beautiful corn. And uh, it's hard to pick because I got hit hit hard with everything this year. The one field got flooded and then drought. All right, and I got hit hard with the coons and with the bears, so there's a lot of down corn, and uh, it's hard to, you can't pick the down corn, obviously, but it's hard to carry the bags out of the field, and then ultimately what had happened is that my family has grown sweet corn since 1978 when I was a young young kid, and I've carried the bags, picked hand-picked sweet corn since 1978, and I we use 100-pound bags. They used to be burlap back then, but now they're like a plastic or whatever. I don't know what you even call them like feed bag they're feed bags i bring new 100 pound feed bags and i you know fill them up as 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 much as i can and usually it's close to 100 years in there 90 something years and then i pick it up and i grab it and i have small hands for a man my mother used to say oh you should have been a surgeon but um because he's small hands so i grab it and i pick it up and i swing it around to the back of my neck and then put it on the back of my neck and carry the bag out and I've done that since 1978. You do the math. So, so, and that's the way I found that's the best way for me to do it because I have small hands. Other people, I've had like the two young men that helped me here, Lucas and Robert, they have much larger hands, so they carried in front of them and they could do that, but I can't do that. So anyway, so I'm on my fourth bag of corn that I'm so grateful that I'm harvesting. And I don't know what happened. 
like I said, I've done this for so many years, and I swung the bag around, and I'm right-handed, and for some reason, I, I pulled a muscle in my right shoulder, or right arm, or shoulder, or, or, or a rotator cuff, or whatever it is. I have no idea where it actually is. And I said, oh, God. So now I lost all strength in that arm. I, I could lift the bag straight up, but it hurts, but I could lift it up. But I tried, like anything, to lift the bag and put it back on my on my shoulders and the back of my neck, I should say, in the back of my neck, and uh, could not do that for a million dollars. I mean, at least not with it full. So I had to say, what am I going to do? So I got to get this corn out of the field because we don't have that much, and it's very hard picking because you're going over here, going over this, is knocked down. So like I said, this is a rescue, exactly what I asked the Lord to rescue it. And uh, so I had to go in the field with my tractor, which I hate doing because I'm par- I mean, I don't like dr- driving on my soil. I don't like driving on my soil whatsoever. It took me many years to, to fix the farm. And so I have one lane, but it's right in the middle of the field that I'm going and I'm taking the bags because we do a little bit more than an acre each planting. So it's not overwhelming. Not like I'm going into a 500 acre field and, and dragging the bags and taking it out. But thank God for that. So we're going to go, after I do this episode today, I got to go back out and pick corn, which I'm so grateful for. And the public, the, the people have just been a blessing to us and have been wonderful as far as our customer base is concerned. And the people are coming up to us and they're, uh, they said that they prayed for our crop, which is very humbling. They said they're praying for Donald, our cat, and uh, because we have a banner along that field, along the highway, and with Donald's picture on it, it's a four by eight or six by eight, it's a pretty big banner. And uh, just very, very humbling experience and people uh, just to have... You know, people that you really don't even know, they just ride by and they, they see you. You know how it is if you're outside a lot, that people ride by. I don't know who they are, but they 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 visually know us. They may not know our name, but they know us. And then they uh, and to have so many of these strangers come up and say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for, we're praying for, the, we, we saw what was happening to your crop. We're praying for your crop. We're so grateful. And, we, you know, we're praying for Donald to come home. And it's, it's just, a, like I say, it's a tearful, tearful, wonderful experience. But I wanted to share that answer to that prayer with you. And as a Christian, before I get into today's topic, which is spark plugs, all right, <laughs> completely different than answered prayer. But that's what this show is about, right? I mean, right, it's, it's all over the map, this thing, like my music tastes. And, uh, but, you know, the thing is, as a Christian, we need to encourage one another. And I don't know, obviously, I don't know what's happening in everybody's life, has their trials, their tribulations, their joys, their sorrows. And lots of times, you know, you need to be able to just hear and say, well, geez, you know, the Lord heard that prayer and answered that prayer, and maybe I should bring my concerns and my thoughts and my prayers before the Lord. So that is uh, that is something that I want to share with you. And the other good thing I want to, two other quick things before we get into spark plugs, all right? Is that, right, anything but spark, anything but spark plugs, right? You don't want to hear about that. But I think hopefully, God willing, you find it interesting is that I'm building a very, very nice uh, telephone and and pen pal, for lack of better terms, relationship with Jeffrey. And Jeffrey is the gentleman, if you can remember a few issues back, that wrote to me from prison, and he happens to be in prison in New Jersey. And uh, he's, he's, he's able to call, and I spoke to him on the phone a couple of times when I was down to, my, to Bob Ida's shop a couple of weeks ago 
his wife is sick so i wanted to make time to run and just take him out to breakfast and i won't divulge much more than that but so i'm keeping her in our prayers and and, uh, hopefully god willing it's it's going to be one way or the other it's going to be something bad or something not so bad it's not going to be and i'm not going to say it's going to be nothing but it's going to be whatever so leave it at that and um I got a nice poster that Bob and his son Rob have posters made up of one of the Tuckers. They built professionally done photographs and studio shots and what have you. So we got that and they autographed it and they sent it to Jeffrey. And uh, I spoke to his mother a couple of times and spoke to Jeffrey. He could actually call twice a day. So he's able to call his mother twice a day, I think 9.30 in the morning and 5.30 in the afternoon or evening or something. And he did call. He's called here subsequently a couple of times. And I said to Jeff, I said, look, don't be insulted because it's a, it's an interesting thing because it's like this computerized phone call and it says that you you uh, you are you are getting I don't know verbatim basically I'm not gonna give it to you verbatim but the gist of it is that that uh, someone from a New Jersey state prison is trying to call you if you want if you don't ever want to have this person they don't say bother call again press whatever three if you're willing to accept this call press four whatever the numbers are that like that's the gist of it then you will not be charged for this call so you press the number and then it connects the line so if it was somebody who was calling and you didn't want to you could actually block them so i guess you've had somebody's haunting you from prison but uh which i never gave that any thought up until this but you know it's just i've been praying for jeff and uh i think he's feeling the prayers he's praying for he's praying for 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 donald which i think is wonderful and uh and he's and his mother spoke to his mother and she said that you know he's just uh she hasn't she hasn't seen him with so much courage and i said that courage is coming from the lord because he had told me in the letter his initial letter that he lives in fear in prison so i asked for so i ask every morning for the lord's hand of providence to be upon him and for him to not only feel that safety that providence but to see tangible results right so whoever the people that are bothering him are giving him a hard time don't give him a hard time anymore and then you say well geez where'd that come from right well that came from his faith in the lord so that's so it's very nice it's a blessing it's a blessing for us to communicate and i just think it's uh well it's a sad story that he's in in that he's in prison but it's going to be i think it's going to be not i think i i trust it's going to have a happy ending as happy ending as it can for spending 25 years in prison but if he gives his soul to christ and he gets to know the lord and lives for eternity in heaven and that's what had to happen then that's what had to happen because the eternity is a lot longer than 25 years or 30 years so that is that everybody my friends thank you so much no, i'm not ending the show now but thank you so much for letting me share these aspects of what is going on over here on cat swamp road all right so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about spark plugs today and like i said some of you are probably say i'm clicking off now i'm going to listen to about spark plugs but you know if i was to i think i'm going to title this episode the secret life of spark plugs because that's really what it's about you have this item and nothing moves on it right they're relatively inexpensive not anymore they used to be 99 cents or 79 cents we used to go when i was a kid we i had a uh, 68 dodge dot with a uh, slant six and then they had those big 13 16s plugs i think what were they n14 champions or something i don't ny14 n14 y i forgot my buddy gino probably called me up and correct me 
But I think we used to buy spark plugs when they were on sale and Kmart champion spark plugs for 69 cents a piece or something. But that's not the case anymore. Spark plugs are quite expensive, but they also last a lot longer than they did years ago. But everything got more expensive, right? But anyway, so spark plug, probably one of the first things that if you're a young person, young man, young boy starting to work on motors or whether it's a lawnmower or whether it's a car or a piece of farm equipment and it's got a spark ignition engine, probably your first two tasks that you ever, that people have learned is to change oil and to change spark plugs. Because those are mechanical tasks. There's no real, fin- well, I'm not going to say there's no finesse involved with it because there is a certain amount of finesse to get to, to do it right. You're not going to over-tighten the drain plug on the oil pan. You need to, to clean the oil filter mounting pad where the filter goes on. You need to lubricate the gasket and you just need to make the filter snug and maybe an eighth of a turn, a quarter of a turn afterwards so you don't want to moose the filter on there. So there's a little bit of a finesse there. And then, you know, then the next step that you probably learn is, you know, to replace spark plugs or spark plug even if it's on a lawnmower right one spark plug so uh <clears throat> that's something that you really uh that you start out with and you're so and it's such a sense of accomplishment for a young young boy to be able to uh you know to put that spark plug in that you, you, even like i said lawnmower and you pull that rope and it starts and that's the catalyst for you to have the courage and the the, the confidence to move on to the next level but because of that, we've kind of we kind of neglect spark plugs. We don't think about them. They're not sexy. They're not. They're not. You know. They're not beautiful. They're not. They're not anything. Well, I guess they're beautiful in a way if you designed it and you look at it and say, "Wow, there's a lot of there's a lot of manufacturing in spark plugs and a lot of engineering in spark plugs," but we take that for granted. So what I'm going to do is do a quick tutorial and share some things with you about spark plugs. Now the first thing that we have to recognize is that it seems simplistic but the spark plug is what basically starts the engine right it doesn't have it crank over it doesn't create the electricity but the arcing between the center electrode and the side electrode is what allows the 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 fuel and air mixture which we call the charge to ignite and if we can't ignite that charge then what is going to happen the engine is never going to start and run regardless of what it is right if it's a spark ignition engine or right, so not a compression ignition engine like a diesel so the idea is that the first thing we have to look at is the spark plug is threaded into the cylinder head and i know rudimentary <clears throat> so bear with me i'm going someplace with this and then it's threaded into the cylinder head and it can either use a gasket or no gasket with a tapered seat the important thing for you to recognize is that whether it has a gasket or no or if it's a tapered seat spark plug then the fact of the matter is is that spark plug needs to be tight not tight with an impact gun or a half inch drive breaker bar but it needs to be tight because it is essential for a number of things to happen so that connection between the spark plug and the cylinder that is the ground path because electricity uh, needs to be able to go its dc circuit it needs to be able to jump that gap of that spark plug from the from the center the spark goes from the center electrode to the side electrode and then it needs to go to ground so the threads on that spark plug and the connection to the cylinder head be it aluminum or cast iron is actually the ground path for the spark plug so that's the first thing 
the next thing is that if that that spark plug is not tight then what you're going to do is you're going to experience some compression leakage because as the piston comes up the top that center you're going to have some some leakage there some compression leakage and when the engine is running you're going to have some leakage so the tightness is there to um to have a good ground path and it's also to seal the pressure the cylinder pressure inside the bore all right and then so that you so you may be saying so hot rod i know that right well the third thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that the the integrity of that connection the way the gasket or the seat touches the cylinder head is meant is very paramount to heat transfer from the spark plug so if you don't have that tight then you're not going to have a good amount of or the proper amount i should say of heat transfer from the spark plug to the cylinder head so the cylinder head actually acts as a heat sink and when you talk about us when and they use the term heat sink a lot in electric electronics and that's something that's going to absorb the heat and pull it out of a component so basically in essence if you were soldering a wire let's say you're soldering right a wire onto a circuit board or onto something and it's very heat sensitive because the solder joint itself or where you're soldering is going to have to be hot enough to melt the solder and wick it into the wire or the connection or the circuit board is lots of times you will put a heat sink on it and what a heat sink may be as simple as putting a metal alligator clip away from where you or in the direction that you want the heat to go so basically if there's a transistor or a diode on one side and you want the heat not to go into that diode while you're soldering the connection you will put a heat sink you could put a little alligator metal alligator clip on there on the wire and that's going to act as a heat sink because of and i spoke and i use this term a lot as far as exhaust gas is concerned thermal inertia and other things but you, it's going to pull the heat out so there's going to be inertia because hot goes to cold so it's going to see that this alligator clip has enough mass to it can't be enough mass to absorb the heat and it's going to have the heat absorb and it's going to act like a sponge and they call it a sink s-i-n-k like a kitchen sink but it should really should be called a heat sponge and then so the thing is that the cylinder head is acting as a heat sink all right for the spark plug for the spark plug to stay cool enough so it does so it functions properly doesn't fail because it can't fail even though it's not moving things could happen to it and also specifically so it does not overheat because if the spark plug overheats then what it's going to do it's actually going to be a source of two things it's going to be source of the ionization voltage which is the the get the arc the ionization arc which jumps between the two electrodes it starts the combustion but then it's also going to be a source for abnormal combustion because it's going to act like a glowing ember and remember the octane on gasoline's its ability to resist combustion through pressure heat and exposure time so it's important for that spark plug to be able to pull the heat away and that's specifically important for an engine that's going to work under a lot of load so you're pulling a trailer uh, you're running an irrigation pump i know a lot of guys run gasoline engines on the irrigation pumps all right no matter what you're doing all right you have an old gasoline farm tractor that you're that you're doing some field cultivation work you're plowing with what have you is that you need to take that heat away from that spark plug but conversely at the same on the same time is that it's important it's imperative for that spark plug 
on initial startup to reach at least the tip of the spark plug. We're talking about the tip, not the porcelain or the connection for the wire, for that spark plug to reach at least 500 degrees Fahrenheit. And the reason for that being is that, it, and, it's, and it's, it's quite hot, but it's not that hot if you consider the, 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 the uh, temperature of combustion, but the spark plug will start to be self-cleaning at 500 degrees Fahrenheit. So you need to be able to get that spark plug tip to be at least 500 degrees Fahrenheit, but it's not gonna be just like if you're, like say if you're making a turkey for Thanksgiving and you're cooking it at 375, right, in the oven, you can't just put in the oven, have the oven at 375, put the turkey in there for two seconds and pull it out and say, okay, Thanksgiving dinner is done, right? It needs to have the heat transfer from the oven. So when I, when the spark plug needs to tip, needs to reach 500 degrees to start to self-clean or burn off, there is also a length of time that is required for that spark plug to be at that temperature for it to self-clean it's not going to self-clean in one second and that brings me to another point that a lot of people get misled on is that and they used to call it body shop syndrome and what it basically is is that it's an engine or a spark plug that gets coated from too many cold starts or short start cycles and specifically why I'm saying cold starts. And, we'll, and you have to realize that in the industry, when we say cold starts, it doesn't necessarily mean it's 40 degrees below zero outside. It could be 110 degrees in Phoenix. And uh, a cold start means that the engine is at ambient temperature in the combustion chamber. Everything is at ambient temperature, but it does, uh, so it's way below the operating temperature. So even at 110 degrees in Phoenix, if the engine runs at 200 degrees normally, then we're, we're only 50% of the operating temperature. So that is qualified, I should say, quantified, because there's no numbers attached to it as a cold start. And why some people call it body shop syndrome is because in a body shop, They'll, they'll start the car, they'll move it, they'll move it to the paint booth. Okay, move it over here, we got to straighten the fender, move it. So it gets a lot of these cold starts, these initial starts. And then what happens is that, and this, this phenomena kind of came out with unleaded gasoline. Not that the phenomena wasn't there before, but it really wasn't, it was more visual that you were able to see it with unleaded gasoline you're not really well you're not not really you're not able to see it is what you end up doing is you coat the spark plug and when you coat the spark plug and today's modern gasoline the reformulated gasoline ethanol gasoline it's all falls under the same excuse me under the same category has nothing to do with ethanol but unleaded gasoline is that these cold starts and not allowing that end that spark plug to to uh to reach at least 500 degrees and maintain that that tip is the spark plug becomes coated and the thing about this coating is it's clear it's invisible to the naked eye so you could go let's say if you bought let's say a four cell we'll use a four cell the easy arithmetic well let's say you say let's say we have a briggs and stratton engine a lawnmower engine a one cylinder maybe even easier for arithmetic you could put a brand new spark plug in that engine right and you start it 
and let it run for a second or two. Start it, let it run for a second to run for a second or two. Even if this is a course over a couple of days, it doesn't have to be in rapid succession. But you never let it run long enough to burn off that spark plug. The first phenomena that you're going to see is that you're going to start the engine and it would misfire and break up, and then eventually it's not going to start because it's a one-cylinder engine, so it's going to be a lot more critical than a multi-cylinder engine. And what, was, what has happened is that spark plug became coated with this clear coating from the fuel, and, it's, and because of this clear coating is a conductor of electricity. So in, remember, electricity is lazy. It's a path of least resistance. So if it is going to try to, if the coil is trying to send the, the arc from the center electrode to the side electrode, which is proper to create that what they call ionization, all right, the ionization voltage, and it's all coated with this from the gasoline from the cold starts then what happens is, is that that ionization voltage never becomes ionization it the the coating picks it up and makes a pathway an escape route for it to go right to ground so that spark plug doesn't arc all right or it doesn't arc long enough to get the engine to start because you have to remember that ignition demand is going to be intrinsically linked to cylinder pressure and we're going to get into that a little bit more so what happens is that it does and then it will first misfire and then it eventually will not run and i've shared this story with you guys before but it's a textbook textbook example of coded spark plugs uh, many years ago when i was a young man i had a friend mike strummler who sadly passed away and he had a friend that owned a buick dealership sherbo buick in booton new jersey which is no longer in business they're sold now I, I think they became a buick chevrolet and they got sold and i was friendly with them i actually bought my tech one through them which they i was not supposed to have but they uh they i, I should say well, it wasn't like i was going to go to jail but it was a you know it was a, a you had to get it through a gm deal it wasn't open, wasn't to the public so they called me up and mike used to call me stash and uh he used to because I met him on an oscilloscope uh, demonstration, and we almost got into a fist fight. I mean, so as soon as he saw me, and I've told you this story before, I, I, mean, I was a young guy. I was blonde. I wasn't gray-haired like I am now, and uh, I wasn't fat like I am now. All right, and he said, as soon as he saw me, he said to me, I said, I, my, I said, my name is Ray. I'm from Alan Test Particles. I said, you look like you're a Pollock. I'm going to call you Stash. So I said, well, I'm a Ukrainian. But back then, nobody knew what a Ukrainian was. So I said, yeah, okay, I'm a Polak. So, so, so that was my nickname. He called me Stash. And uh, we um, literally almost got into a fist fight. And we were nose to nose screaming at each other as the demonstration went on. I never had that happen before. And then we became best of friends. I mean, salt of the earth, man. God rest his soul. Salt of the earth, man. He would, he, he'd give his shirt to anyone but as crude and as rough as a quick cut chainsaw blade all right i mean i mean unbelievable couldn't have been cruder or rougher but once you got behind that crudeness or roughness then he was uh he was a, a puppy he was a sweetheart he was a wonderful wonderful man and uh, as an aside i'll break i'll break away and i hope you don't mind he used to take he had two two or three sunoco gas stations and a quite a big towing business did and ended up getting 44 tow trucks and a lot of them are heavy duty tow trucks but anyway so he used to take problem kids in um 
to to work and teach him a trade and what have you and then and this was years ago and i came into the shop one day on my way home from back to the farm from alan test products i stopped by to see him and he had this i mean t- today forget about you i go to jail he had two of the guys in the shop grabbing this other kid and Mike's shop was filthy dirty. I mean, you had to change your shoes when you... When I was going, I'd keep an old pair of work boots on the farm and put them on because I don't want to get the rugs in my car or my van. I had an Allen Tesbox brand new Ford van. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't want to get them greased or oily. But anyway, so his shop was filthy dirty. And they had this kid working there pumping gas. And Mike is standing over there and he's got two of the employees grabbing the kid's head. And, the, and this kid is struggling like anything. And he's pushing the kid's head into the vice, the shop vice. And Mike is tightening up the, tightening up the, uh, the, uh, the, the vice on the kid's head. And this is no embellishment whatsoever. I come and I say to Frank, what the hell's going on here? Why is not Mike got the kid's head in the vice? And the kid is struggling like anything else. Mike, no, Mike, no, no, no. He says, and Mike is going, he had a real New Jersey. He says, I told you. He says, I told you. He says, you come. And this was, and this is no, I'm going to aside because I know I have a broad audience. But you have to remember, this was 1986. All right, it was a different world back then. It wasn't the same as 1976, but still a much different world from today. And back then, some of the young guys started to wear earrings. So the backstory is, is the kid was working there, and Mike told him, he said to him, look, you're wearing an earring. I don't want you wearing an earring. You pump, because New Jersey has no self-serve even today for gas. He says, I don't want you wearing an earring. He says, I don't care what the hell you do when you leave. We well, probably use more colorful words than hell. Something that starts with an F and ends with a K. But he says, I don't know what you do when you leave here. When you come to Hiawatha, Sunoco, he says, you are not going to wear that earring. He says, if you wear that earring again, he says, I'm going to put your head in the vice and I'm going to yank it out of your ear. So the kid, and actually the kid needed what was being done, not because he was wearing an earring, but the kid was on the road to, to, to trouble. And, and Mike was straightening him out, tough loving him. So the kid basically defied Mike. And Mike said, well, look, I don't care what you do. You leave here, you want to go in the bathroom, put it, I don't give a damn. He goes, but you're not serving my customers with an earring. So I said, what happened? He said, so the kid came in the next day, and Mike was 100% right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, okay, so, uh, right, so, I mean, he was right. He defied him. So Mike, Mike had grabbed the kid. He had the two employees bring him over. He grabbed him. And Mike was a big guy. He grabbed this kid and they're sticking his head in the vice and they're closing his head on the vice. I mean, they didn't close it like they had crush his skull. All right? They didn't crush his, crush his skull. But what happened was that they got him in and the kid is struggling. And, and it was funny because when he came out, he had the, the greasy vice marks on his... I mean, they didn't hurt him. All right? So Mike grabbed a, grabbed a, pair, of, a pair of pliers... And then he said, showed him to the kid. And he said, see this? I'm going to rip this out of your, uh, uh, be your ear. You add whatever word you want before ear. All right? Ripped it. But actually what he did is he had, and, and then so uh, he had a pair of dikes to cut the earring. It was a little earring, a little loop. So he said, I'm going to rip this right out of your ear. You see? And he's, he's putting it on. He's pulling He's pulling my lips. He goes, ah! the kid is screaming he says what the hell are you screaming for i didn't even do anything yet right uh, and so what mike does he takes his <laughs> big greasy hand and he covers the kid's eyes so he can't see him take the dikes and he goes and he snips he, he just cuts the earring and it falls off he didn't rip it out of the kid's ear but the kid never wore an earring again 
the kid was became so respectful the kid graduated high school and went to college and and had got married and had a wonderful life but uh but there's other instances other than that so anyway so the thing is that i don't even know where i was going oh so mike so mike calls me up and he says to me stash get back to the spark plugs here he says start the, another kid i'll tell you another story one other time when he was teaching another troubled kid who's teaching him how to drive a four-speed in the tow truck and he i'll tell you real quickly and mike like i said today you'd be in jail forget about it uh and uh mike took a took a two by four with him piece of two by four and he says to him okay i'm going to show you how to shift i'm going to show you two times how to shift he says then you're going to says and then he says if the third time if you miss a shift i'm going to whack you with this two by four so the kid's all nervous now so the kid goes first gear second third gear fourth gear shift final gears all right stop over here we're gonna go through the gears again right and the kid goes through the gears again he says okay stop over here we're gonna go through the gears and the kid messed up i don't i don't know what he did he's still mike ended up whacking him with the two by four all right i mean he didn't whack him to to i mean he wasn't gonna kill him and everything i don't even know where he whacked him maybe on his legs i i have no idea i mean but um, but he whacked him with the two by four so i come over to the station and i said mike what's the matter the kid tony over there, he's crying in the corner he says ah, i feel so bad he says i'm trying to teach him how to drive a manual transmission i told him i whack him with the two by four if he misses a shift he goes it's rough here in jersey i just want to tell you that <laughs> so he says <laughs> He says, I whacked him. He says, the kid started to cry. So I didn't hit him that hard. I don't know what the hell am I going to do now. The kid is crying. He goes, I feel terrible. So anyway, so Mike calls me up and he says to me, hey, Stash, you know, Dickie Sherbo asked if I get to reach out to you. He used to say, reach out. He says, if I could reach out to you. He says, they got a problem with a car there. It's a brand new Regal. He says, can you go look at it? I said, sure, Mikey. I said, well, you know, uh, I said, I'm going to be in that area tomorrow. Is that good? Says, yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. He says, I'll call Dickie. He'll be waiting for you. <clears throat> so they were owner of the dealership so uh, uh so i go over there and they show me this regal it was a 307 v8 and like i said some of you probably heard this story before 307 v8 and uh four barrel electronic quadrajet i won't even tell you what they did to this car but they put a new motor in this car the car had like 200 miles 300 miles on it and they did the, the car they delivered the car to the customer the car picked it up like on a the customer picked up like on a car the customer picked up like on a friday and the car comes back monday misfiring running rough parking check engine light on they put a computer they put a carburetor they put every sensor known to general motors they put an engine in it a brand new engine from gm or it was underwater the car had 100 miles on it all right a brand new engine from gm same thing all right so imagine and let me tell you one thing and you know no disrespect i know we say that but the guy that was working on that car was not really the you know let me put this way you wouldn't find them working on a on, on a jet engine all right so the guy was a nice guy but he was a butcher and then these people have this beautiful buick it's got it's they have it three days and this car is basically destroyed all right so they say look so tell me this story so the, the car i look at the car it, it was i think it was this was an 87 or 88 and i think it was 87 because i had my regals no i bought it there and uh i think it came there with my regal and um it was an 86 so i said so i so i go over to the car I open up the door and i look at the build date so it was an early 86 so it was built in 85 
So I said to like September of 85, and this is like August of 87. So I said to Dickie, I said, Dickie, when did this car come here? He says, oh, let me look. So he calls into the office, look up. Because there was no real computer stuff back then. At least they didn't have a computer. And uh, the girl, a couple of minutes later, says, oh, we got that car and whatever, September of 85. So I said, so basically, in essence, you're telling me this car came in September of 85, and then it's whatever, July of 87. And it just got sold two days ago. He says, yeah, he says, I don't know why I didn't sell it. It's a nice car, but nobody ever wanted it, right? So this guy bought it. So he said, <clears throat> okay, fine. You know, I heard the engine run and everything, and it was misfiring and what have you. So I said to him, do me a favor. I said, let's go over to the parts department, and let's get eight spark plugs. So he says, what the hell, what do you want to do with spark plugs for, Stash? So he said, he called me Stash also. So uh, I said, just, you, you want me to, just, just give me some rope here, Dickie. Let's get eight spark plugs. Get the spark plugs. I'll gap them. Give me the wrench and let one of you guys put the spark plugs in on the other side. And I'll put, I said, what spark, well, I asked the mechanic first, excuse me. I said, when you got the new engine from GM, the 307 Oldsmobile engine, did it come with spark plugs? No. He says, I put the spark plugs from this one in here. That's when I said to him, okay, fine. Go get new spark plugs. He says, the spark plugs are beautiful. They have 100, they're clean as a whistle. So go get new spark plugs put new spark plugs in car runs like a baby all right the spark plugs were coated so i want to share that story with you because if you have engines on the farm and if you and even if it's a, a, a two-stroke all right so you have a chainsaw you have a weed whacker you have something is that you have to on the cold start on the initial start because the mixture is so much richer and the atomization of the fuel is very poor is that you will be able that you will very quickly coat that spark plug and that thing will run terribly and eventually not run i had that when i was at bmw they had and they didn't even know about that this was and i'm saying i'm saying again respectfully because every i mean there's a zillion things i don't know but but that was taught to me by mr dick hippen Dick Hip and up in General Motors had a whole thing about spark plug coating, and uh, <clears throat> and the thing is that they had this twelve cylinder uh, V twelve uh, seven series, and and it was misfiring like anything. I said to him, "What's going on with this thing? It's like like crap." Pardon my language. He goes, "Yeah, I don't know what that happened to it. You know, we had it over there. It was over in uh, I think they had it over at Motorola, and because they when they were working on the uh, uh, the phone program." BMW is one of the first people to try to integrate a phone like Ford has with the sync system. I don't know whether they, Ford beat them or they beat Ford. So I think we had over at Motorola and then it came back running like this. So uh, so I said, how long did they have it? So whatever. I said, I said, put plugs in it. They said, ah, well, what's, what's, what's the pull out the plug? It looks fine. I said, put plugs in it. I said, they coated the spark plugs from the cold starts. And this is a 12-cylinder gasoline fuel injection state-of-the-art engine time no the same dynamic so keep that in mind is that you need to now somebody may be saying well what about these these start and stops on these new engines right well the start and stop is different because you only you're not having a cold start and that plug has residual heat in it so if you have start and stop which i hate so you come to a stoplight in your new car your wife's new car or truck or whatever and she comes to a long stoplight and the thing shuts off 
and then it goes and starts again with a modern hybrid that does that that's a different scenario because there's so much heat in the combustion chamber there's so much heat in the spark plug all right it's not a cold start you have to realize that when you cold start an engine that that spark plug is at ambient temperature so if you're up in i know i got a lot of listeners up in canada i got listeners in montana and dakotas but up in you know in western canada it's and i'm going to say fahrenheit because i know what in minus 32 it gets to be almost the same but if you're minus 35 or minus 40 minus 20 f all right in 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 the winter time you have to realize and you can get a little bit i mean not just the people in canada up there but you have to recognize what an engineering marvel of spark plug is because that engine is sitting there overnight for a week two days whatever long it's cold soaked right so that spark plug for all intents and purposes is the same temperature within a degree or two or the exact same temperature as the ambient temperature outside so you have this 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 pickup truck sitting up there in in, in uh, manitoba and uh it's been 30 degrees below zero what and you know warms up to 10 below zero (laughs) during the day when the sun comes out so this spark plug is at ambient temperature so if it's 30 degrees below zero that spark plug is at ambient temperature it's been sitting there for two or three days like that and you go and start crank that engine to start now you have to recognize that as soon as that engine starts and you have combustion in that particular cylinder right because all cylinders don't fire at the same time but each cylinder when you get combustion is that you went from minus 30 below zero whatever number you want to choose all right say zero whatever you whatever all right to now you're getting a flame that's probably about a thousand degrees that's hit that's working that's that's coming up against the spark like as soon as combustion so it went from minus 30 whatever it may be to a thousand degrees in a slit in a second and that is why that spark plug has to endure so much and if you start it off forget about it being minus 30 but you have that rich mixture and there's a lot of residual fuel in the combustion chamber because of the rich mixture and why is the mixture rich because gasoline whether it's fuel injected or carbureted gasoline there makes no difference the dynamics of gasoline is that it has a very poor vaporization rate which is changing from a a liquid form to a rarefied form a gaseous form all right so not gas gaseous a rarefied form and when it is cold so it's 60 degrees fahrenheit gasoline only has about a 50 percent vaporization rate so they have to have so you have to have a very rich mixture because the rate of vaporization is very poor and you're making an analogy back to my corn crop so these people say oh you got corn you got you oh you good you got you got corn i said yeah but my first nine <laughs> eight plantings i got nothing out of so the thing is that yeah so so what i have i'm harvesting i have a very small percentage of what i planted am i harvesting to somebody looking at it on the farm stand well yeah there's corn they can they can they can fathom the loss but the same thing happens in an engine you have to put so much fuel in it to get it to vaporize because only a small percentage of that fuel is going to vaporize and that's what the engine is going to start on and then once the engine starts there's what's called a reaction zone that is formed and that's where the pressure and heat from the combustion goes into the into the areas where the flame is not there because the flame goes across the bore and so the bore is cold so once you bring the pressure and the temperature up you need that's what's called a reaction zone but anyway so that spark plug endures that so the take-home message here before we move on is it's very important for you to be able to run an engine long enough 
when it is cold to to uh, to burn off that spark plug and that means that that spark plug tip has to make get to at least 500 degrees fahrenheit and needs to maintain that for a couple of minutes all right now if you have the if you have the choke is set wrong or you have the choke on so let's say arguably you have a a, a weed whacker and a blower or snow blower or something and you you start it up and it's cold out and you have the choke on and you don't cut the choke that's why you want to try to cut the choke back as soon as possible as long as you have enough heat heat for it to run all right because you don't want to have that excess fuel because it's going to take longer for that spark plug to clean off so that's the first thing the second thing i want to 45 minutes later right the second thing i want to talk to you now a lot of guy that bites a lot of people in the tushy all right because they they look at the spark plug they pull it out and they say the spark plug is beautiful it's nice and clean all right it's nice and clean or it could have some use on it's nice and clean and then you uh and it's actually coated and you cannot see it with the naked eye next thing that i want to talk to you about is heat range of the spark plugs now believe it or not there is no true industry standard for heat range so if you have let's say you have a ford and use that as an example and you have a, a motorcraft plug in it one two three four whatever the number may be and this makes no difference whether it's motorcraft champion ngk bosch what have you All right so the heat range is actually going to identify how much heat is going to be dissipated from the center electrode all right which is going to have an in turn affect the operating temperature of the spark plug because remember we said that in the beginning is that you need that heat transfer but also there's a designed operating temperature so an engine that's going to run under a lot of constant load you would want a plug that's not going to the, the plug that's going to reject and or i should say not absorb as much heat so it's really not the idea of rejection it's the absorption from the from the um from the combustion event so the longer the porcelain the more porcelain there is in the center around the center electrode is that it's going to absorb and hold more heat so it's going to act like a sponge and hold more heat the shorter that is then i'm not talking about the central electrode the porcelain around the central electrode then it's going to hold less heat so it's going to be think of it more porcelain is a bigger sponge less porcelain is, is, is is a is a is a weaker sponge not as much capacity all right now the thing basically is is that so you have your ford i'm using that as an example motorcraft plug one two three four and now you go to the and you say well i want to get a i want to get a, a a plug that's going to stay hot longer or run hotter because this thing is old my old 64 ford pickup truck right and i want to uh which we don't have for many years but i want to uh i, I want to you know because it's burning burning oil i want to keep the oil clean off of it right so you go to the auto parts store it's okay and so i'll give you this champion plug it's hotter than the than the stock one that's a load of malarkey it's not that the guy is lying to you he honestly thinks that it is all right and it's not the case because there's no industry standard for spark plug heat range so you could have a plug that is that is qualified as a hot plug excuse me under motorcraft but that may be actually too uh, and you people oh, this is too heat range hot heat range is hotter unless you're working within the same brand of spark plugs so champion to champion ac to ac ngk to ngk motorcraft to motorcraft that is totally totally meaningless the only way that you could determine if that plug is hotter or colder 
then the one that is in that you have that you just took out of the engine now is for you to actually look at that porcelain around the center electrode if it's if it's longer or if it's shorter but the fact is that this idea of saying just like years ago they say it's a three-quarter cam so what does that mean it only opens the valves three quarters or it's a full race cam or what's a full race cam there's no such thing as a as a full race cam but that was the the terms that people used to use so the take-home message here is that <clears throat> actually my friend bob ida talking about he actually had a tool that somebody uh was trying to sell and they gave him a bunch of them and it, it, it actually had a little probe and you could put it against a spark plug and you could you could determine not it's not going to give you an actual temperature saying oh you know, 652 degrees oh, oh this is what the oh, it, i mean you're doing it cold statically but it gave you some sort of metric so if you went to the auto parts store and you said okay this is the plug i have and you read it on this well it had a scale and it had no numbers but let's say this 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 electro this uh porcelain is uh this center porcelain is one millimeter long and then so you say i want one that's going to be it's not going to hold as much heat so you want one less than one millimeter long so you go to the auto parts store and they'd say well okay fine here's one that's that's you know that's that's not going to hold as much heat and i'm colder than that one so so the thing is that and he read it with that tool and said no this one is just is actually going to hold more heat because it's longer it's, it's 1.1 millimeters long and that just had excuse me it had a it had a scale with colors on it but anyway so keep that in mind is that the only way that you could go and determine whether you're getting a plug that's hotter or colder than the one that was originally in and people say okay fine i'm gonna put a hotter plug in this thing right all right and they go to a different brand it's just like going and getting a different brand of oil so the different brands so if you bought mobile oil mobile one whatever 1030 and you bought valvoline 1030 and castor oil 1030 it, it, yes, it, the SAE standard is the same. It makes, meets that standard, but the, the the chemical composition, the components in the oil, the uh, total base number, all right, er, everything is completely different. It would be just like saying, well, here's you know, uh, you know, here's corn seed. Well, you know, this one's a nine, uh, uh, hundred eighteen day corn. This one's a ninety two day corn. You can't tell by looking at it. So that's a common thing. So if you want to go and if you want to change the heat range of a spark plug because you're running the engine under load and you want the plug to run cooler all right because it's this irrigation pump or you're towing a trailer with it or what have you then you're having some sort of problem you have to i mean don't re-engineer this if you're not having a problem and usually a problem would be either detonation all right some sort of abnormal combustion event or run on when you shut the engine off it's virtually impossible to have run on today because when you, you shut the fuel off uh you, you, with the injectors you shut everything off all right so it's almost for all intents and purposes it's it's impossible to have true run on these to call it dieseling because the the heat in the engine and if you had a carburetor as long as those pistons were moving you were still full you were still pulling fuel all right so the thing is that but you know you have an irrigation engine you have something an old tractor is that if you stick with the same brand spark plug then you have a very good chance of saying this plug is colder or this plug is hotter than what I have here. And then, then you can make your decision. Once you change and say, I have an AC plug and I'm going to a champion, all bets are off. And just because it was the right plug for that application in the parts book, so arguably, let's say if you had a Buick, 
and you had a AC Delco this number, and you said, I'm going to put champions in it, right? Like old Kmart and buy them for 69 cents years ago. Like when I used to go in Hackettstown, and Gene would come up from Queens and buy spark plugs up here. But anyway, all right, and you went to a different brand. You said, well, the book says it's the same one now in champion. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the same heat range. It may be close to it, but keep that in mind. So it has to be apples to apples and oranges to oranges. Once you cross over with that branding, then things are different, and that's not necessarily the case. All right, so that's basically that. The third thing I want to tell you about spark plugs, which are more like an FYI, in case you go on a game show or something, is that if you if you study cylinder heads and you study spark plug locations, what do you mean spark plug locations? They're all in a cylinder head. Yeah, they're all in a cylinder head, but they're in a different location. The orientation of which way the spark plug is pointed is going to be paramount on the, the timing demand that the engine needs. I hear my kittens meowing. I don't know where they are, but my this new microphone is picking them up. So it's going to be paramount. And the, the old way of thinking the old way of thinking was to have the spark plug you actually want to have the spark plug in the hottest and most turbulent region of the cylinder so the old way of thinking was to was to put the to have the spark plug when you thread it into the cylinder so the electrode the center and side electrode face towards the intake valve all right and they just say you don't want to put it towards the exhaust valve because it's going to oh it's going to spark plug is going to overheat and what have you but the and then if you look at a modern engine let's say like with a hemispherical combustion chamber the ideal location for the spark plug is in the center of the combustion chamber because then the flame when it ignites from the iron is it can propagate across the whole bore uniformly when the spark plug comes in off the side the flame has to go in one direction you really want it to propagate across the bore and that's why modern engines for the most part have especially four valve engines have this cylinder have the spark plug right in the center all right and even if it's not but you need like a like an um i would say an old chrysler hemi all right but a hemispherical combustion chamber where you have the valves canted to the sides and you could put a center spark plug location if you don't have a center spark plug location a lot of modern engines let's say like an ls and a chevy all right gm of course it's a push rod motor with an overhead cam motor it's a lot easier to have an idealized spark plug location have a center spark plug right the thing is that what they'll do is they'll they'll use a long reach spark plug and the reach is the thread of the spark plug so they'll design it so even though it's coming in on the side but the ionization the arcing of the spark plug is happening as close to the bore center as possible so the whole idea and what happens is that the okay and you can't change this so if you have a 65 pontiac the spark plug is going to be biased and the term we use in the industry is biased means which way it's pointing all right to Towards the intake valve instead of the exhaust valve because they felt that that was the best place and then it was just if you look at old if you look at engineering texts if you look if you if you look at everything and the same thing is is happening now within within engines whereas for many years you thought for instance just uh, as an aside to this but drives home the point that back years ago with tier four diesels is that you had the company uh, international navistar and they they believed that EGR was the way to go, all right? And they did extreme EGR, high rates of EGR. They didn't want to have an SCR system, selective catalytic reduction with, with the diesel exhaust fluids. So they, they would EGR the hell out of this engine to get the oxides of nitrogen down. All right, now just the other day, 
my friend sends me a thing and he says you were right 14 years ago uh, <laughs> what they're doing away with egr and they're going to have uh, a lot of def they have a new end a new i forgot the new engine it was something called uh, something 13 so i guess it's 13 liters but anyway so just like anything in life you'll see that in agriculture right oh we have to plow we have to plow we have to plow all right plow 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 and then we go then we go, oh, no we don't know we're, we're, we're ruining the organic matter we're ripping up the earthworms we're doing we're doing everything we got well, the soil's washing away when it rains so now we got to go to no-till right and then now you're finding that all right and then i know till so I, mean, I love it so don't get me wrong is that but now you have a lot of guys saying well maybe we went too far the other way maybe now strip till is the hot setup so we don't need to tear up the whole field we just need to tear up or loosen up not tear up those couple inches where the seed is planted so that we could leave the benefit of no till all around it and just go where the seed is planting and 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 uh and what's it called till that so that same thing happens with engines you'll have the whole industry go oh no we gotta have the spark plug bias towards the intake valve and they realize that that was the wrong way not that the engine didn't run but what will happen is that you will add a lot of octane tolerance on a gasoline engine if you don't have the spark plug bias towards the intake valve then the idea that they were saying that the spark plug would overheat was not correct all right maybe spark plugs changed also so who knows but keep that in mind so when you look at an engine and you just you, know, you don't have to take it apart you eyeball it so if you look at a modern engine and if and if you have like a chevy and ls and a gm all right you'll look to see the spark plug comes on the side but when you buy that spark plug and you look at it you'll see that that spark plug goes way has a very long reach so it, even though it's coming in from the side but the ionization is starting in the center or as close to the center of the bar as possible other thing is that always put anti-seize compound on the threads of your spark plugs especially today because you don't want it you don't want it to you go all the threads coming out and spark plugs last forever today which we're going to discuss unless you coat them all right always put dielectric grease in the spark plug boot wire and then also smear some of that hey, it's in new jersey where smear some of that around the porcelain all right when you put the plug on to stop to hopefully help the boot from sticking to the spark plug so you don't break the wire coming with taking the wire off the spark plug the other thing that you want to and like i said a lot of you notice whenever old engine new engine you always want to twist the boot and break it loose before you pull the spark the wire off the plug and you never want to pull it by the wire you always want to pull it by the boot and they also sell a little tool that you could go you don't want to use a screwdriver you go in the hook it's like a little u-hook like a little like a uh uh like a little fork and you go underneath the boot and then you pull it straight up if it's stuck but you got to break that boot loose and always put the ant not the anti-seize the dielectric on to the spark plug portion and in the boot anti-seize on the threads another trick that i learned from the drag racers and the top fuel guys as a young man is that i always clean all my spark plugs with carburetor cleaner before i spray i hold it down so the central electrode is facing down i spray carburetor cleaner to get any porcelain dust that's in there from manufacturing all right you'll probably never have a problem but i felt as a young man if it's good enough for a thirteen thousand horsepower top fuel engine it's good enough for my lawnmower you just spray and wash it out let it in two seconds it'll dry 
right so that's something that you that you that you that you want to do and you want to put the dielectric on it the anti-seize compound on the threads and the other thing i want to talk about keep in mind that today's spark plugs last so long for twofold number one the materials that they're using to make them all right are much more durable as far as wear is concerned and keep in mind that that spark plug is not only attacked by the heat all right from the cylinder but it's it's attacked chemically attacked by the by the components the chemical components that are in the fuel and nobody really wants to talk about that and it also has the ability of of get, seeing some oil so if you take a spark plug out of an engine and one side of the center porcelain is darker than the other side then that's usually the side that was facing the valve guide and then the valve guide or the valve seal is dripping a little bit and it's and it's coming onto that plug and burning so so that's why half the the porcelain is darker than the other side all right but the chemicals attack the spark plug so you need to so you need to keep that in mind but the reason why they last so long today is because of the materials they're made of and that's why they cost a lot more money than they did years ago all right but the other thing is that today's ignition systems are high a high car high excuse me <coughs> excuse me high voltage and lower amperage the amperage so because of ohm's law and the demand on an ignition system unless you are steady stating the engine with no difference in load and no difference with rpm the demand on the ignition system is like a person or an animal's blood pressure it goes up and down right so i see something and it gets me mad when i'm driving my blood pressure goes up right i see something that's pleasant my blood pressure goes down so anyway so that's that's the way it is so ignition demand so you're going down so you're going down the road you go to pull a hill a slight hill you're a little bit more on the throttle the ignition the ignition demand goes up because the cylinder pressure goes up now because of ohm's law volts times amps equals watts is that if we have a more if we put a more powerful as far as its output and voltage is concerned ignition system then to to achieve the same ionization under the same cylinder pressure requires less amperage so the amperage is what was wearing the electrodes away not the voltage so today's ignition systems are very high voltage and you have to remember it's potential voltage people say oh i bought axel coil at sixty thousand volts electricity in the ignition system is passive electricity is passive it's only going to put out what it needs to get the job done so it's, it would be like saying well i have a three i have a one ton pickup truck well <clears throat> if you're putting <coughs> excuse me a 50 pound bag of bird seed in the back all right yeah all right it's not uh, you could put that on a bicycle so the thing is that so that coil has the potential let's say to put out sixty thousand volts or seventy thousand volts but it's not putting out sixty or seventy thousand volts you're going down the road it's when the ignition demand goes high enough to demand that so that's like saying because ignition coil always teaches like a checking account right so if you have a thousand dollars in your checking account you can write a check for fifty dollars no problem you can write a check for 999 dollars no problem you can write a check for a thousand dollars no problem you write a check for a thousand and one dollars the check bounces the bank doesn't say oh well we'll take the thousand out and you owe the guy a dollar they bounce the whole check well ignition coil is the same way so if you go and you take this and you so this ignition demand is constantly switching and changing and that's why an engine that and i on last week's show was talking about 
like duty cycle or cycles more about automatic transmissions but if you have a car that an engine that drives around town so it's back at the, the you're a rural mail carrier and you're starting and stopping and accelerating you don't say you're burning the tires all right but the thing is that you're not going to have spark plugs that last as long as an engine that's going more steady state because every time you step on that throttle and modulate that throttle and put a load on it, the ignition demand goes up all right when you release the throttle ignition demand goes down so you're constantly increasing this demand and even though it's a high voltage ignition system it still has an amperage a current draw which is electron flow so the thing is that so you those electrons that amperage is what is actually deteriorating and eating away at those electrodes and then when they eat away at the electrode you're opening up the gap and now you're on a real merry-go-round because you have a lot of demand and the wider the gap the more voltage it's going to take for the <coughs> ionization excuse me <coughs> ionization process to occur but now you can understand why spark plugs last so much longer and getting back to it's why it won't last why you may get 200,000 miles rid of plugs in this application and 60,000 miles in the plugs are worn out in this one because this one is a mail carrier all right the, the rural mail carrier starting and stop starting and stopping accelerating and then coming to a halt accelerating coming to a halt modulating the throttle a lot and the other one is running on the highway all day long so it so it all comes into play so as i get ready to close here i hope you have a have a higher respect for spark plugs remember that heat range is only specific to that brand <clears throat> you can't cross that over uh that spark plug has to be tight all right for, for for grounding purposes to seal the cylinder and for thermal transfer the ignition demand goes up and down and the rate of where of the spark plug will be intrinsically linked to that put some anti-seize compound on the threads all right make sure it doesn't get on the central electrode because then it'll misfire a thin a little bit thin coating of anti-seize will go work wonders for you all right as far as getting that spark plug out many years from now and lots of times it is many years specifically let's say like on a engine on a uh sea tender or something all right keep in mind that if you don't get that tip up to 500 degrees long enough when it, on a cold start cold start meaning a richer mixture you're going to coat that spark plug the first telltale sign is it starts to misfire next it gets worse and if it's on a single cylinder engine or two cylinder engine may not even run because it's it's taking that coating you cannot see that all right that the gap of the spark plug is going to create the ionization window the larger the gap the more energy that's there which is good as long as the coil has the potential to do that put put uh dielectric grease in the boot of the spark plug smear it onto the porcelain take and twist the spark plug the, the wire before you go to take it off invest five dollars in a proper tool so you don't break the wire in case it does not want to come off and i think that's really basically it so i want to thank you all for for uh tuning in today and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america and i have the blessing of a harvest to go to right now have a great day i'll catch you next week thank you bye-bye